Alright, welcome back to Quentin Tarantino Part 2 Raiders of Lost Podcast. Jackie Brown's the last movie we went over. Now we're going to go over Kill Bill. It's probably my second most viewed Tarantino movie of all time. I've seen this movie a million times. I adore this movie so much. Um, we all know it's about when a nameless pregnant bride, Uma Thurman, is left for dead by a gang of assassins. She embarks on a very bloody road of revenge. that leads her face to face with her old boss, Bill. Great synopsis. Thank you so much. I love Uma Thurman this movie. Star making role for her. Yeah, this movie is just—it's so badass. It's about a, a modern-day blonde samurai, and Beatrix Kiddo is just one of the coolest characters of all time, action-wise. Mm. She's a freaking samurai again. She's one of the deadliest women alive, and she just kicks ass and takes names in this movie. This man. is one of the ultimate female empowerment movies ever made, it, it, hands down. Easy. This this woman destroys so many bad guys in this movie with her hands. Well, not just that she destroys bad guys, but it's empowering in the terms that she takes on. A role that is characteristically giving to mostly male characters in exactly. male leading movies. Yeah. So Tarantino just flipped that whole genre on its head. It's like, I'm gonna make a movie with a female in this lead mm. and with female lead characters and female lead villains mm. rather than the typical male villains, male bad guys, male yeah. good guys. So it's a it's a female led cast, like and it's a very diverse cast as well. The cast is phenomenal. I mean, Lucy Liu is so good as Oren Ishii. Mm. And you got Vivica A. Fox, mm. Daryl Hannah. Mm. Uh, Michael Madsen, it's it's just great. It's it's loaded and it's got great fights, but he films it with his traditional Tarantino quality, so he makes it fun. He has the old sound effects, he has the old music. It feels like you're watching a kung fu movie, but it's contemporary. So it's this blend and this mish, mishmash of genres and and time periods, and it it adds to the 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 brilliant of his vo- brilliance of his voice of just. Making an action movie that you've never seen before. Yeah, he's obviously paying homage to those old 70s kung fu movies that he clearly loves. Mm. He's clearly obsessed with. Yeah. And that's evident not just in like the the fight scenes and everything, but also the audio that goes on during the fight scenes. Like the fun little quick two, three second clips of audio that you hear when someone's like flying through the air or throwing a kick or something like that. Yeah. And I mean, they're using swords. Like you never see this in modern action yeah, movies it's anymore. Great. It's so cool. It's so much fun. And then, I mean, it just... It, right from the get-go, that, that fight with Vivica A. Fox in her house is just... It's so un, it, unexpected, and it's brutal, and it's violent. And then it gets hilarious when the daughter shows up, and they both hide the knives behind their backs. Yeah. And they, they play normal for, for the kid. Yeah, and the house is a mess, and it's trash. Yeah. This movie has a very bold opening, a lot like Reservoir Dogs, mm. where the opening of the movie... Is just a, a close-up shot of Uma Thurman in a bride's outfit, hmm. covered in blood, clearly beaten to a pulp, running lines with someone off camera who's Bill. And then right before she gets shot in the face, she says, Bill, it's your baby. And then boom. Hmm. That's the opening of the movie. Yeah. Again, Tarantino's basically showing you, this is what this movie's going to be. Hmm. You, 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 you see this innocent-looking bride destroyed. Her face has been pummeled in, covered in blood. No mercy shown to her. This is the movie. Yeah, and then you're like, what happened? You want to know what happened. And then it adds, you, you follow Beatrix on this on her journey from the hospital where she's half paralyzed and she's big or big toe and then the, she gets the pussy wagon. And it's fun, but also you're rooting for her to really get back at these people. And it's one of the best revenge movies ever made, mm-hmm. hands down. And revenge stories are violent stories and this is a violent ass movie oh hell yeah and there's a huge kill count Uma Thurman kills a ridiculous amount of people in this movie and again this is a a big 
criticism of Tarantino is violence, not just violence on screen, but violence against against women on screen. Mm. Very common criticism of Tarantino's films. I think it's important for people to realize that real life violence is different than on screen violence. Yeah, you know this isn't real. And again, we've talked about we talked about it earlier. I don't think that on screen violence leads to violence in real life. And Obviously, maybe a lot of people don't want to watch violence on camera. But again, if you don't want to watch violence, violent movies, you don't have to watch violent movies. Yeah. I feel as though Tarantino enacts so much violence on the men in his stories where it's just kind of a kind of an empty argument to argue that there's too much violence against women. Because I feel like every Tarantino character experiences violence on them. You know yeah. what I mean? And he, he does cause violence against way more men than he does women. And yeah. He kills more men than he kills women. I mean, did you watch Pulp Fiction? Some pretty messed up stuff happens to guys in that yeah. movie. Yeah. I realize that it's a controversial subject, but personally, I think the way that Tarantino treats his characters is equal, where they all have no mercy spared against them. They, he treats them all as expendable as each other. Yeah, and I think it's just, it's in bad taste to try and politicize someone for something that clearly wasn't their motivation. I mean, the way people f- look at it is that he's like twirling his mustache enjoying like oh i'm gonna have this woman get beat up like is that's not how he's writing his movie he's writing his movie based on his characters and his story and being accurate to whatever is happening in the situation well i understand people being critical of it because they they say it promotes um violence against women and it, it promotes the the images of violence against women that it's an okay thing to do but we all know that it's not an okay thing to do in real life. Yeah. And we all know these are stories and these are movies. We all know it's not okay to go hack people with samurai swords. Yeah, and and if you don't want to watch violent movies, don't watch violent movies. Don't pay for a ticket. But I also think you shouldn't just criticize people who enjoy violent movies. Yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with watching a violent movie if you're of age to see that film. Absolutely, 100%. And speaking of violence, this has... Hands down, one of my favorite action scenes of all time, which is the Crazy Eight Apes fight, where Beatrix just goes to town on dozens upon dozens upon dozens of enemies. Oh my god, it's so good. It's such an iconic fight. I remember seeing it in theaters for the first time. It, was, it just blew me away. It's so incredible. And um, it's really funny when you look at the trailers that came out, everyone's covered in black because they had to die. They had to digitally alter the blood on everyone to to uh, be black instead of red so that they could show the trailers on in movie theaters and on TV. That sequence goes back and forth between color and black and white. Mm-hmm. So, But it also has just great action, great changes in music, yeah. and then you choose a specific great songs, gore. Specific, specific parts of songs to specific parts of the fights. Yeah. Like when she's fighting the guy with the two weapons and it's like, the cool beat going back in the background, yeah. and then it goes to like a heart, like a fast rock like, punk dun, dun, song, dun, dun, yeah. dun, 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 when she's like breakdance fighting with the swords and cutting people's feet off and yeah. everything. And then it's funny at the end when this when the lights turn on, she's about to like ha- get the last guy. It's like a twelve year old, and she just hacks up his sword and just spanks him. Yeah, it's and so it's like it's, he keeps it super light. Again, he makes you. And it's a very tense moment. Then a minute later, you're laughing and yeah. having a good time, and yeah. he, he eases that tension. And then that leads to the the finale of uh, the the battle against. Oren, which is fantastic. One of my favorite scenes in Tarantino's filmography yeah. is when she, you know, beats the the henchmen and she's ready for the boss fight. And she gets back there, and Oren, she's just standing by herself next to that little pond, waiting. And there's that little water bubbler that goes that fills up with water and keeps falling. And then they have their their dialogue back and forth. And um, Oren, she completely underestimates 
Beatrix Kiddo yeah. and her ability to fight with a samurai sword. You know what's really cool about that scene? Before they fight, Oren tells uh, Beatrix, um, I hope you saved your energy because if you haven't, you won't last five minutes. And then the fight from when from that moment until the end of the fight when Beatrix uh, kills Oren... It's four minutes and 59 seconds. Is it really? Exactly. Wow. My favorite part of the fight is probably the anticipation of the fight. Yeah. Where Tarantino does such a good job building it up. So she goes back there and they have their dialogue. And then Oren starts to prepare and she takes her slippers off. And as soon as her feet touches the 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 dusting of snow on the ground, that song with the clapping starts, Don't Let Me Be Misunderstood. With mm-hmm. the... And it's like a minute, minute and a half of just this song, this epic song playing, leading to the climax of when they start to fight. And I love it so much, and it makes my hair stand on my arms every time I watch it. It's literally the end, the finale fight of a spaghetti western. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's a duel. With that slow buildup. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's why Kill Bill movies kind of start to have that western vibe to his movies. But also, another thing I love about Tarantino and Kill Bill Again, we talked about it earlier where he makes whatever he wants. He's yeah. so confident in himself as a director and and brave as a director that he'll put a 10-minute anime sequence <laughs> in a live-action movie in, in American cinemas, uh-huh. which is not unheard of in Asian cinema, but in American cinema to put anime in a movie. Most people are in the theater are probably like, what the fuck's going on right now? Is this part of the movie? I remember when I was 11, 12 yeah. years old seeing this movie, I was like, wait, what's going on? Yeah, is this, yeah, same. Is, is yeah. this part of the movie? Mm. But you know what? It's very cool. And it really is. A, it's a really fun way to show the character of Oren Ishii because she's one of my favorite characters of Tarantino's in all of his, in all of his movies. Oh, yeah. That scene where she's uh, dominating the other gangsters in that, in that meeting is insane. Yeah. When they criticize her American and yeah. Chinese heritage. Yeah. Oh, my God. And I, I love her so much, and I, I always had such a huge crush on Lucy Liu because of this movie <laughs> as a kid, and it, she's a total badass. But again, her biggest flaw is underestimating Beatrix Kiddo. Yeah. The crazy 88 fight scene's great, then the fight that she has against Gogo is really cool too, mm. but also real quick, that fight also has some controversy around it where there's there are articles being written where Tarantino went on set abusing uh, Uma Thurman, where... but. Specifically, the what people don't realize, it's part of the scene. So in the scene, Beatrix Kiddo gets cha- choked by the chain from Gogo's uh, weapon. Yeah, which from is, when it gets caught in the plank. And then, yeah. And so Tarantino gets this great close-up shot of Uma Thurman being choked by the chain. And a mistake that I think Tarantino made, which he he doesn't really regret, he's he's defends himself with this is he's the guy who held the chain mm-hmm. against um, Uma Thurman's throat for the shot. Yeah. He didn't have like a key grip do it. He didn't have like another actor do it. He didn't pay someone, a stuntman to do it. He did it himself. He felt like he needed to be the one to do it, to get do it right. Yeah. And he also has been on, on interviews saying that Uma's the one who kind of came up with the idea of him doing it yeah. and it needing to be done more effectively in, in a proper way to get it out right and to make it look good. I believe that, yeah. But I, I think it got blown out of proportion where people have this perception where Tarantino's just going around on sets just beating up his female characters, which isn't true. I mean, yeah. it's part of the shot. He probably should have had a stuntman do it or someone else do it. But again, you need to get perspectives from both people. And from what I've read personally, I think that they both defended the actions on it, Uma Thurman and Tarantino. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure I mean Uma probably committed to that role and she wanted it to, to make it as effective looking as possible. And it does look r- real because it is real. Yeah. And actors, there are a lot of actors that are so committed to their craft, they will they will do things that seem a little strange in order to properly properly display their craft. 
And um, something similar happened with David Fincher on Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, where um, at the end when Daniel Craig is tied up by Stellan Skarsgård, and he um, he puts a plastic bag over his over his head um, and, st- and suffocates him, but like in a toying way, they really suffocated Daniel Craig over and over again with the paper bag for the shot. And then one time he they held him under the they kept him under the bag for so long that he actually passed out, um, but he was okay with it. And I think if it was a woman, it would have been a bigger controversy. But since it was Daniel Craig, it didn't didn't become a news story. But I think that there are actors that are committed to what they do, and they wanted to make they wanted to make as good of a movie as possible. And so they'll sacrifice, they'll they'll allow themselves to experience some pain or discomfort to get that shot. And so I think it's okay. And I think if both people are in agreement, we don't really know what happened on set, but um, I I, I can totally believe that they both wanted it to happen that way. Yeah, but Tarantino did put. Uma Thurman's life in danger on Kill Bill 2. Yeah. In a real hazardous situation that could have cost her her life. And we'll get to that in a minute. So yeah. let's move on to Kill Bill 2. Um, one of the best sequels ever made. Oh, yeah. It's not exactly a sequel. It's like a continuation of a story. It's um, like the, the second half of one movie. Yeah, it's a completion of a story. Yeah. And it, again, displays Tarantino's love for those grindhouse kung fu movies. Mm-hmm. As well as this movie feels more like a Western mm-hmm. to me than Kill Bill 1. Because now he's starting to incorporate Ennio Marconi's music from his old Western films. Mm-hmm. As well as there's a lot of scenes like in the deserts with Ma- with Michael Marsden's character. Yeah. character but, you see the training scenes with Pai Mei. Yeah, so that's one of, that's one of my favorite parts about Kill Bill 2 is this Western vibe that Tarantino brings to it. Yeah. And then the cool thing about it also is in Kill Bill Volume 1, Beatrix is kind of a mystery to the audience. Like, you don't know where she's from. You kind of get a sense of her past while she's an assassin with those scenes when she finds out she's pregnant and stuff like that. Mm. But um, you don't really know much about her besides the fact that she woke up from a coma. She was killed on her wedding day while she was pregnant. And uh, she survived the shooting. Um, but in, in Kill Bill Volume 2, you learn about her past in terms of her training with mm-hmm. Pai Mei, how she developed her skill set. You learn more about Bill and her relationship with Bill. And, like, mm-hmm. you know, you have those... Uh, camp- Can you even get to like Bill? Yeah, can- those campfire chats with Bill where he's telling those interesting stories. Yeah. Um, he seems like a really smart, interesting guy. Also foreshadowing his own death with the uh, five-point palm exploding heart technique. Yeah, and I think that Tarantino did such a good job keeping Beatrix a mystery to the audience in the first one that you were so thirsty to find out who she was that he quenched that thirst in volume two for you. Yeah, my favorite, one of my favorite sequences in the movie is all the, all the training with Pai Mei. Oh, it so felt like I felt like I was watching a foreign film from Asia. You know what I mean? It's incredibly brutal and entertaining. Yeah, it's funny. You feel for her. Um, and also, you're just curious... To see how someone becomes this kind, this talented of a, of a fighter and this skilled of an assassin, and you're like, obviously, and it's it's so fun to think like there's this one um, master in the world who lives in isolation, and you have to train with him for years in order to ve- develop these skills. It's not like she trained in an army corps or like with some kind of like agency government type program. It's like she she was trained by an old um, martial arts master, mm-hmm. which is so much fun. Yeah, I love the training sequences with Pai Mei and her over arrogance in the beginning, which he shuts down quickly mm-hmm. and uh, almost like breaks her hand basically. Yeah. And um, he like takes control of her body in her hand and he she becomes his tool to weld how he likes. Mm. And, and he's um, always doing like that flick with his beard. Yeah, but it makes sense to, ha- to have to go through such brutal training to become the most deadly person on the planet. Yeah. And um, so many great things about Kill Bill 2 is 
um, you find out that BB, her daughter, survived. Mm-hmm. And Uma is such a terrific actor that she doesn't know that BB survived. She doesn't know BB exists. And when she finally fi- tracks Bill down and finds him towards the end of the movie, and she sees BB for the first time, the look on Uma's face, like, I, I'll never forget it. And it always, like, make, get, makes me feel so many emotions that she just emotes, like, so much the first time she sees her daughter who she thought was dead. Yeah. And she's this grown up little six year old girl and she's so cute and funny and mm. adorable. And she's like, I can't believe this person's alive. And then she has to play into the game of pretending of getting fake shot. Yeah. Which she does while holding back tears. And it's, it's a really great acting moment for her. And um, that followed by that is one of my favorite scenes in the movie, which is this, the Bill's entire Superman backstory. I mean, Superman story where he compares Beatrix to Superman with uh with the Kate with the with the uh costume and and comparing her to saying that it essentially gets down to the point in the theme of the character which is she's a killer and she'll always be a killer. And yep. I, and if in anything she says otherwise it's just a, a facade. Yeah, where Clark Kent puts on the suit to become Superman, yeah. takes it off to become Clark Kent. Beatrix killer, Kiddo is a killer. Yeah. And she and what she's wearing is a as her Clark Kent outfit is trying to be a normal person. Yeah, exactly. It's a great it's a great scene. And um so the controversy behind Kill Bill 2 is it was a serious accident. Mm. So Tarantino made a massive mistake and really put Uma Thurman's life at risk making this film. Yeah. So the film has multiple shots of this great shot of Beatrix Kiddo, Kiddo driving her tiny little car super fast around these windy roads and she's bombing down these roads mm. and um they didn't have a stunt driver do it they had uma do it because tarantino just wanted his perfect shot he wanted like uma's face and head uh the shots like right behind her head or her wind's blowing like crazy and they tried to do it a few times at like 30 40 miles per hour but tarantino like didn't like it because he wants like the wind to be blowing super fast in her hair mm. and he had her going way too fast and she crashed her car, mm. and she had a very serious knee injury and a very serious neck injury, which still plague her to this day. And um, the thing with Tarantino is he he hasn't shied away from taking responsibility for his actions here, yeah. And he completely regrets it. And um, recently, I think it was like a year or two ago, Uma Thurman asked him for the unseen footage of what happened during the crash and after the crash. So the camera kept rolling and the audio kept rolling. Uh-huh. And without hesitation, he gave her the footage to let her show the world what happened mm-hmm. and to tell her story. So you got to respect and condemn Tarantino for being upfront and being open to share that information in the footage. But also he had to accept responsibility for what he did because it was a very dangerous situation and a huge mistake that he made in his career. Yeah, it, it's completely unacceptable to put an actor in a situation like that and demand her to, her to uh, essentially put her life in danger for a shot. Completely unacceptable and irresponsible, and luckily she she got out with injuries, but nothing more serious than that. Um, and I think it's pro it, it's a big mistake on his part. Absolutely, yeah. So I mean, there are certain depths that I'm, directors will go to get the perfect shot, but they should realize that they're crossing a line at some point. Yeah, so the safety of the of the crew and the and your actor. Should be first and foremost. Yeah, so that's the situation where Tarantino actually has put Uma Thurman's life at risk mm. while filming. And then what's great about Kill Bill 2 is it ends in, in on a great note. She accomplishes her goal. She kills all the all of her enemies. Um, and she gets BB in the end. And they I drive. I could have had BB! BB! 
And it's just, it's, you feel great at the end of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. You feel like, oh, that was, that was fantastic. But there's so many points in the movie where you think she's not going to make it, not yeah. going to survive. Like when she gets buried alive by Bud. Yeah. Holy crap, what man. What a scene. My, my God, it's nuts because you think she's, she's tracking Bud and Bud lives this crappy life in a trailer. He's just bouncer at a titty idiot. bar. Um, and he's not completely an idiot, but. She, she, you think that she has the upper hand on him, sneaking around in the dark and everything, hiding under his trailer. But then you realize that he's not a moron, and he's been waiting for her, and he's been prepared. And when he catches her, and he buries her alive, and you just can't believe it. But to watch her get out of the coffin and make it and dig through the dirt is so amazing. But it's it's the it's a great way to for Tarantino to flash back on her training with yeah. Jaime. So that's where he goes back in time with his nonlinear storytelling to show you how Beatrix came, Beatrix Kittle, the, the, ser- the killer. And especially to show how she was, a- how she's able to escape a coffin by punching her way out with only three inches. Yeah. That three in- room. inch punch that Jaime makes her do over and yeah. over and over again <gasps> against that wooden board <gasps> for like months and months and probably a, a year or two yeah. of just punching that board just distance of just her index finger away mm. and it's just it's freaking awesome and it's great in, when she's in the coffin and the, she's got the flashlight and she's just like bashing away at it over in the, the music's building up and getting faster but it's terrifying when she's yeah. being buried alive yeah because I, I don't really think i've seen people being buried alive on camera like to that extent before i've seen this movie well because tarantino shot it he shot it from inside the coffin and then first they hammer all the nails and then the last light the, in the, the lights corner, going out it just that gets shut out and then you just hear the pounding, the rush of all the dirt and just blasted on top of the coffin. Until you can't hear it and anymore. It's terrifying because you feel like you're in the coffin with her. But yeah, Kill Bill, satisfying ending, great sequel. Um, all in all, it's a fantastic story, both of them put together. Hell yeah. All right, let's move on to Death Proof, which oh, yeah. is a pretty nuts movie. Yeah. It's definitely, uh, again, Tarantino paying homage to old movies that he loves and adores. Mm-hmm. Starring Kurt Russell as this crazy stuntman driving serial killer <laughs> who goes around trying to pick up women to kill in his uh, car. Yeah. And it's just a ridiculous concept. Mm. Uh, mostly female-led cast. Kurt Russell is a fun villain to watch. So entertaining. Like he's so very, charming. very seldom a villain, but when he he's a villain in this and he's not only is he like impossibly cool, he's just evil as hell too. Yeah, but he's got like this great outfit, this great wardrobe where he has a stuntman like jacket on and it's super shiny and he, he's got like the perfect hair and he's just like, the le- you wouldn't expect him to be a serial killer. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, when you really find out what's going on is when he picks up that girl at the bar in the beginning of the movie mm. and he puts him in the front seat and he's like telling her like, oh, this is the safe, this, this car is death proof. Don't yeah. worry about it. You're going to be fine. Yeah. And then like, she, he starts like doing those crazy stuff in the car and saying some odd things to her, and then he's like, "Oh, in terms of uh, the car being death proof, you really gotta be sitting on my side of the car in my seat." <laughs> and then she's like, "Oh shit!" Well, what happens is uh, they're about to pull out of the parking lot, and he goes, uh, "Which way are you going, left or right?" And she goes, "Right." And he goes, "Oh, that's too bad." And she goes, "Why?" And he goes, "Well, there's a fifty-fifty shot. You were gonna go left or right, and I'm going left, but since you chose right." And, and if you had, if you if we were both were going left, it would have taken a while for you to start getting scared. But since you want to go right, but but since you want to go right and we're absolutely going left, you can start getting scared immediately. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty nuts movie. Yeah, and I I love that Tarantino uh, gave Zoe Bell a talking character role because Zoe Bell is a stunt woman he's he's been working with for years, and she, he she was um. Uh, Uma Thurman stunt woman for, for Kill, Kill Bill. Bill. So when you yeah. see all those crazy action shots in Kill Bill, that's Zoe Bell. She's an Australian stunt woman, 
And it's really great for Tarantino, I think, to recognize his stunt people as as important and vital people to the making of his movies. 100%. And I think that he shows that by putting Zoe Bell in the movie, giving her dialogue, mm. and also giving her some pretty cool action sequences, specifically the shots where she's on top of the roof, of the hood of the car, yeah. and they're bashing into each other. Yeah, it's and crazy. she's really on that thing. She's not wearing a wire or anything. She's she- insane. And then... Uh, that that scene ends with them just beating the shit out of Kurt Russell, and, and they uh, each like take turns punching him, and it's like yeah, yeah, it's so girl funny. power. It's so funny. Um, but Rosario, Rosario Dawson's awesome, awesome in that movie. She's great. But that movie's a lot of fun. Um, I don't think people understood what it was and what Tarantino was doing with it. It's kind of like when he went to make Jackie Brown, and people yeah. were like, oh, you're coming off Pulp Fiction with this, and then yeah. it's like kind of like. Oh, you're coming off Kill Bill with this? What is this like movie? Like he just he loves these kinds of movies so much that he just and he's the only director who can make a movie like they made in the '60s, like a like a B movie. Like he just wants to do it because he he can. Yeah. And it's it, it's great to see someone just have that freedom and like the confidence to just be like, you know what? I'm gonna make a B movie action a B action movie, um, and pair it with some other ridiculous B movie called yeah. Grindhouse. Yeah. And if we're gonna make it a double feature. And we're going to have fake previews, and it's just going to be hysterical. And I don't give a fuck what anyone thinks about it. It's great. He's the man, dude. I love I love people like him because he doesn't let anyone else dictate his art, mm-hmm. dictate what he wants to do with his stories and what kind of movies he, ma- he wants to make. Yeah. He does what he wants. And I would say this is his, his most simple story by far. Oh, absolutely. There's only, there's only a few main scenes, actually, in the whole movie. Yeah, the dialogue isn't dense. There's yeah. a ton of characters, but like yeah. they're not saying a ton of dialogue. Very simple dialogue. story, very straightforward. But it's, it, it's still a lot of fun. It's wicked fun, dude. Yeah. It's a really good time. It's fucking wicked fun, guy. Yeah, kid. Wicked pisser. <laughs> but um, it's like since it's the simplest movie, I say we don't spend too much time talking about it. All right, let's move on to Inglorious Bastards. Hell yes. I love this movie. Obviously, I keep saying that. Um, <laughs> I think this is Tarantino's most well-made film. Uh, I it's agree. probably most articulate and well-written script. Um, the dialogue is absolutely sensational. It's a damn shame that he didn't win an Academy <laughs> Award for screenplay for just the opening scene of this movie with Hans Landa uh-huh. and the dairy farmer. I can't believe it. And we talked about it on an earlier podcast. It's just, I think it's one of the best scenes ever. Yeah, it might be the biggest snub in Oscar history. It's pretty absolutely. bad. Absolutely. I mean, how can you watch this movie and not realize that it's genius writing mm. it's it's so dense just that opening scene is it's phenomenal and yeah. we went depth on that opening scene in a previous yeah. podcast but the thing with this movie is every scene is like that yeah every scene is dense every scene has has huge stakes but every scene also has his tarantino characters which are so um unique and and fun to watch um and unmemorable un- I mean, Hans Landa, played by Christoph Waltz, is one of the most iconic villains we've seen in the last 20 years. Absolutely. And will probably live on to be an iconic villain for a long yeah. time. Yeah. Because of the way he was written, he's just this flamboyant, evil Nazi yeah. who's, like, very smart, very cunning, and just straight-up ruthless and merciless. But he'll, but he'll smile and crack a joke yeah. as, as he sets you up for death. Yeah, and Tarantino does a great job, again, with this opening scene. We won't talk about the suspense building, but it's just a very tense conversation and then just there's humorous moments of getting the, the sense of the people's characters, like with the pipe scene, uh, where he's like, do you mind if I smoke this pipe? And then uh, the dairy farmer's like, please, please make yourself comfortable. Yeah. And then he pulls out this giant pipe that's ridiculous and mm-hmm. just extravagant. And then the dairy farmer pulls out his, his pipe and it's just a, a normal smoking pipe. And this movie is very much a spaghetti Western big oh, yeah. time. 
tons of Ennio Morricone music. Um, obviously, spaghetti western is a term for those western movies that were made by European, specifically Italian directors back in the day on the mm-hmm. cheap, cheap. Yeah. You know, when westerns were huge, but people wanted to do a very low budget. Yeah. And then Clint went over there and made a ton of those Italian <laughs> westerns, which is also a precursor for Cliff Booth. Yeah. And um, precursor for Rick Dalton in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood when he goes to Italy to film spaghetti westerns. Yeah. But this movie is basically a spaghetti western yeah. or just a fun western. But it's got it's got an incredible cast. Brad Pitt in one of my favorite Brad Pitt roles. Dan Aldo Rain. He's so funny and so charismatic, and it's just he he he's he speaks Darren Tarantino dialogue with so much charisma. It's awesome. He speaks everything with charisma. Come on, yeah, it's Brad Pitt. That's true. That's true. Yeah, not just great actors and actresses, but also something I really like about this movie is Tarantino. Again, he likes to take the oppressed and have them victimize their oppressors. Yeah, and so. Generally, you see a lot of Jewish characters in films about the Holocaust or the atrocities that Jewish people have gone through over the last millennia, and they're always victims. But in this movie, which you don't really see often, is he takes these Jewish characters and he makes them heroes. He makes them fighters. Yeah, hunters. He makes them, yeah, he makes them hunters, which you've never really seen before. Yeah. And it's really cool to see these people who's... Who's for generations they've been they're being attacked and killed and there's an the atrocities happening to them and they have these badass Jews who are out for revenge just to kill a bunch of Nazis and it's so cool to see yeah that lineup scene where he's talking to the soldiers I want I want each one of you owe me one hundred Nazi scalps and I want my scalps yeah it's, it's so cool. great it's fantastic it's badass and then so there I think there are two major iconic scenes in that movie and obviously the first one but then I think. The basement restaurant scene when they're playing the drinking games is so is so fantastic, and it's also just as dense and in, in, in intense and and articulate and and fantastic as the first scene. Yeah, it might be the best scene he's ever written. It, yeah, I think it could be because it's a lot longer than the first scene, and there's more characters. And then um, it's got like Diane Kruger and Michael Fassbender um are fantastic in it. I can't remember the the German the Austrian actor's name. Um, but it, it's just it's a brilliant scene and it goes from them playing the games and then the Nazi starts suspecting Fassbender because of the accent because of the accent and he's he's interrogating him but he's all it's social he's like he's being like kind of non-threatening about it he's just asking him innocent questions but, but he, he outranks he, him so he yeah. has a right to do it yeah but he yeah he has a right to do it and he, it's it's pretty much an interrogation and then um and then when he gives himself away by putting up the wrong three, yeah, he does this. No, he does this. He does this. Yeah, he does this. Instead of this. Yeah. And then the uh, the Nazi just glare- looks at it for a second. Then it's like, oh, he knows. Yeah. He knows. The, the jig is up. Immediately knows. And uh, Michael Fassbender, yeah, he's fantastic in that scene. And what I like about that movie now when I go rewatch it after seeing The Hateful Eight, it seems like that scene might be a precursor or inspiration for Tarantino to have made Hateful Eight. Yeah. Because you're talking about an ensemble cast, a bunch of characters in one setting, one set. Yeah. And see what happens with all these characters and mm-hmm. amazing dialogue. And it ends in a bloodbath. Yeah. It's like, who's going to die? What's going to happen? When's yeah. it going to happen? And I adore that scene so much. It's so freaking good. And it's so funny because Brad Pitt, before they even go down there, he's like, he doesn't want to fight in a basement. He's like, he's like, I ain't fighting in a basement. <laughs> <laughs> fighting in a goddamn basement. <laughs> but man, that's a, it's such a great scene. And uh, 
it's definitely one of my favorite scenes of all time. There's two scenes in this movie that I think are some of the best ever made. Yeah. It's crazy. And this movie's full of so many great characters and a lot of really great female characters. I mean, Shoshana mm. and Bridget von Hammersmark are awesome. I mean, Bridget von Hammersmark is a German, an English-German spy, but she's also a German movie sp- star. Yeah. And it's just really cool to see this badass character, mm. despite what happens to her in the end. Mm. And she's so charismatic and so funny and... Showing up to the red carpet with the cast and everything. It's hysterical. <laughs> and then Shoshana is a very strong character. You know, she's this Jew. She was originally in the floorboards in the opening scene of the movie. She's the only uh, person in her family to escape. Yeah. Um, Au revoir, Shoshana. To escape um, Hans Landa. Hans Landa. And then she goes on to take over this movie theater under a mm-hmm. new alias. And she eventually uh, has a hand in killing Hitler. Yeah, which, which is... Also, one of the great unexpected twists in a Tarantino movie is when he has his characters kill Hitler and most of the Third Reich in the movie theater. He just burns it down and they all die, which is like, he's the only person that could ever think to do something like that. Yeah. Ever. No one else has has the audacity to do that. Does it in a fun way too. A fun and brutal way. Yeah. Like when Donnie Donovich is just unloading round after round into his face. There's just like... it was satisfying to see. You know what I mean? To see Hitler's satis- face get yeah, blown off by guns. Just to just get bl- shot with like 100 rounds. It was just satisfying to see that. Yeah. One of my other favorite scenes in this movie is um, the bear Jew. Yeah. The bear Jew. Yeah. Where um, they capture the Nazi soldiers and they're interrogating them to find out uh, what kind of artillery and where other Nazi campouts are yeah, in the, the map, area. Yeah. The way that they execute the Nazi soldiers is ridiculous with uh, mm. Eli Roth's character, Donnie Donovitz. Um, bashes their brains in with a bat. And he's called the bear shoe. The bear shoe. And uh, it's so funny when the the Nazi, the first one, the first one, pridefully accepts his death. Loyal, very loyal. Um, and Brad Pitt's character, Aldo Rain, is like actually really excited about. It. He's like, "Oh, we're all tickled to hear you say that." <laughs> Marshall Donnie ba- bashed uh, Nazi's brains in with a bat. Is the closest thing we get to the movies. It's freaking <laughs> hysterical. And then it's great because uh, Eli Roth comes out and he bashes the Nazi's head in. And then they ask the second guy, and he's, he's like, points to the map right away. <laughs> but I love, I love the way uh, Ila Roth comes into the scene because after he accepts his fate and Aldo Rain calls for Donnie, um, the, new, the music starts, and you just hear Donnie clapping the bat against the wall. They're like a slow beat that gets mm. a little faster and faster and faster. And then he finally comes out, and that brass is like, Bum, 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 bum. Mm. And he just looks totally badass, but you can see the pain and anger and rage in his eyes. So he's trying to—he's just trying for his, the rest of his life. He'll die trying to get vengeance for everything that the Nazis have done to the Jewish population yeah. in mm. Europe. And it's just pretty badass. Yeah. It's a badass freaking scene, and it's all—it's hilarious. It's brutal, and it's fun. Yeah, it's a great scene. I love it. <laughs> And then um, there are a couple other Hans Landa scenes that are great, which are um, when he has lunch with, uh, when he has pastries with Shoshana, and she's just dying of fear on the inside and trying to keep a straight face while he just destroys that pastry in the whipped cream. Wait for the cream. Wait for the cream. (laughs) (laughs) And then there's the scene where, uh, which is so funny when um, the the guys are doing uh, Italian impersonations, and he's like, 
obviously onto them immediately. Yeah. And then he starts trying to get them to do a better accent. He's speaking Italian <laughs> yeah, he's fluently. Yeah, he's speaking fluently. He's like, with more passion. <laughs> Don't Let me hear the, the coco. Mu- Let me hear the music in it. <laughs> so he's just messing with them. And it, it shows how brilliant he is compared to these guys. Like, he's way above them. Gorlami. 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 See, si, uh, correcto. <laughs> And then uh, when he has that uh, that meeting with Brad Pitt to try and um, buy his way out of uh, the Nazi uh, system, mm. um, and he's, he's trying to figure out how to say bingo, that's a bingo. <laughs> <laughs> and Brad's like, it's just bingo. You just I, say bingo. I love Aldo Rain because he's a military man. He obviously has to follow orders, but he hates Nazis so much mm. that even though Hans Landa helps end the war, and even though Hans Landa is being offered a tr- a truce and like a, a treaty package by a general by by the American military and government, he still is gonna scar him for life yeah. as a Nazi yeah. because he hates goddamn Nazis so much. <laughs> and I love that part of his character that no matter what, Hans Landa is not escaping the country without getting a goddamn swastika carved into his forehead. Yeah, and that's a great shot where it's a close up of him just digging into the into Hans Landa's forehead oh, and the blood's pouring out and the sound effects. That. And he's just screaming like a little girl. Yeah, and then it cuts to the POV of Brad Pitt and uh, Eli Roth and of uh, B.J. Novak, and uh, he just goes. I think it's my masterpiece. <laughs> you know what, sir? I think and that's Tarantino saying, I think it's, it. this is my masterpiece. Yeah, probably. It probably yeah. is his masterpiece. I think that's him just saying that. And the music in this movie, again, is phenomenal. Besides Ennio Morricone, like, when Cat People comes on by David yeah. Bowie, um, putting out the fire with gasoline for uh, Shoshana's big night of the premiere of the uh, movie at It's at like, this, hearing this in a period film is just like, it's so fun. It's so badass. It's, then she puts on her makeup and everything. Yeah. Um, but... Tarantino just he writes amazing characters and you can't help but love Shoshana so much yeah. and the way she's willing to sacrifice her her movie theater sacrifice her life to kill the Nazis and to mm. kill Hitler is just really amazing yeah because fuck that guy <laughs> so yeah this is a this film is absolutely brilliant and um, it got snubbed for who knows how many awards I don't know how it didn't win again like, it's because of the violence yeah he'll never win a best director probably because yeah. of the violence probably never win best picture because of the violence yeah but this is another example of him just taking a, a genre that we're familiar with that we've seen a lot of times which is like the nazi uh war genre and just completely turning it on his head like he always does mm. and telling it in a new way in a refreshing way which is why it's always so great to watch all right next up we got django unchained django. starring jamie fox leonardo DiCaprio, samuel L. jackson and christoph uh, Christoph Waltz, um, Kerry Washington, amazing cast, amazing script. Tarantino won Best Screenplay for this movie, Academy mm-hmm. Award. Um, it's a terrifyingly good movie. Christoph Waltz won Best Supporting Actor. Yeah, and this is one of my favorite roles that Leo DiCaprio has ever taken because you've never seen him do anything like this before. Yeah. And he's such a talented actor, and you've never really seen him as like a villain. Yeah. And not only a villain an evil piece of shit yeah. flamboyant villain horrible person candy of candyland and he's he's so good in it i think it's i think it could be his most underrated role ever i think it is and um I, one of the most iconic scenes in this movie is that intense monologue that he gives in the dinner table when he's uh found out Django and um the doctor for for their ulterior motives and he has the skull yeah and he's he's doing that monologue with the skull 
and then he bash he he bashes his hand and he gets that giant cut in his hand and uh, it's a real cut that DiCaprio got in the scene by accident and his hand gets covered in blood but he just keeps pouring out the monologue like like it didn't even happen and then he uses the blood in the scene by like spreading it on Kerry Washington's face and it's like he committed so much to that scene he and he used his his real injury in such an amazing way it's it's one of DiCaprio's greatest scenes of acting I've ever seen. Yeah, I love his character in this. It's it's so amazing to watch. He's so enigmatic on on camera with this role. Yeah. And um, again, as we talked about earlier, Tarantino wanted to accurately depict slavery and what it was really like and what it probably looked like, um, in this film, similar to Twelve Years a Slave. Yeah. So the violence is kind of required, and and the treatment of of the slaves is required. Uh-huh. And I mean, we've seen things in this movie that you haven't really seen before, like the Mandingo fight is yeah. insanely vicious. Yeah. But realistic. Nuts and realistic for sure. Yeah. And then the cool shot in that scene is um when Django goes to get a drink, he's standing next to the other Django yeah. in the other Django, the old Django yeah, yeah. movie. So he has both Django's together on the same shot, which is really cool the to D see. Is silent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How do you spell it? <laughs> this is a beautifully shot movie despite the content. Yeah. And um and on top of the violence how it's necessary to have the violence. Um a lot of people critique this movie for um the use of the N-word in it. Well, and Tarantino in general. Yeah, Tarantino in general having characters say the N-word um in um several of his movies and I understand the the trouble it causes and um I understand why people can get upset by it, but you also have to think about the the authenticity that is required to to sell a movie like this, if you're gonna set a movie in the South during slavery with slave owners as characters, the N word has to be used pretty often. True, but he also he uses it in Pulp Fiction and yeah. other movies too. Yeah. But again, for him, he doesn't use it to be racist. I don't think Tarantino's a racist person. I think he actually promotes black culture absolutely. heavily in a lot of his films. I mean, if you've seen any of Sam Jackson's roles, he absolutely does. But um, in just the music in so many of his movies and yeah. everything and, and the, the aesthetics, but he believes in accuracy yeah. as a writer. You know, he's not going to exclude specific things no matter how think people might perceive them. If a character has to say the N-word, then he's going to have them say the N-word. Yeah, but I mean, obviously you can argue that, you know, maybe his character Jimmy in Pulp Fiction doesn't have to say the N-word when he does. Yeah. But again, this is that's how people used to talk, and especially in Django, that's how people talked. Yeah. But I mean, people did used to use the N-word more freely. Yeah, and it show, it's, a, it's a character trait to show that this guy is racist. Yeah. Not that it's a good thing to never say the N-word, yeah. um, but again, Tarantino cares about authenticity and accuracy mm-hmm. and how characters would really talk in real life in the time periods they're set in. Yeah. So I don't find offense to his use of the N-word in his films. Um, it's totally fine if other people do. Yeah. That's how you feel about it. We all have our own perspectives and we all have our own feelings about things. But I think I agree with Tarantino and his accuracy, mm. speci- specifically in Django and his use of the, word, of the N-word in this movie. Yeah. And moving on, I think... This might be Sam Jackson's best performance because he makes it, he really sells the fact that he, he seems like he's like in his late 80s. And he's got this great character put together. The voice is great. His physicality, you've never seen Sam Jackson do like a physicality this extreme. And it, he's so convincing. And he's all, he, and he's, he's such a great villain in the movie and an antagonist towards Django. And once again, he just he just knocks it out of the park. And he himself has said that 
playing that role meant that he was playing like one of the most evil characters of all time because yeah. he's playing the head slave, which means that he's basically treats the slaves worse than than yeah. the owners treat the slaves, yeah. and he's kind of in charge of the slaves. And yeah. like it shows that Jackson will dive into any role that he believes in, no matter how people might perceive him, perceive the role, or perceive the movie. And I think that's important to him and his collaborations with Tarantino mm. and how well they work together and how much they believe and support each other. Yeah. And this character is great because what's so great, what I found really fascinating was that after Calvin Candy got got killed, um, Sam Jackson just holds him weeping. Mm-hmm. Like he probably raised this kid and like he loves him like his, his own son. You know what I mean? So you could see, like, you can kind of empathize with him for a moment to see how much he loved Calvin. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I love Jamie Foxx in this movie, too. He's so cool yeah. as Django. He's just, like, this really cool guy. And I know um, I read the story where during rehearsals, um, Tarantino, during the script read, had to take him into, like, a side room and, um, like, a few uh, pages into the script. And he's like, what the fuck are you doing? He's like, what do you mean, man? I'm just, I'm just playing the role of Django. He's like, he's like, you're not supposed to be cool. You're a slave in the 19th century. Play like a slave in the 19th century. He's like, all right, all he's right. Like, what the fuck are you doing? He's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> and then they went right back into the script reading and rehearsals. But <laughs> Jamie, it, it makes sense. You know, he, he's a slave, so he wouldn't he really can't, he realize can't be very cool. what, like, that kind of culture But he becomes like. cool. Yeah, so what happens is, what's so great about this movie is Tarantino... He takes a slave, and then he he turns him into this iconic, kind of like badass cowboy superhero type figure, and it's you've never seen it done with this kind of story before. And it was so great to see um, the black community to get such an empowering um, figure in a movie like this, set in a period like this. And again, Tarantino taking the oppressed and victimizing the oppressors with. Exactly. By the oppressed. Exactly. It's a pattern with him. And so Django is taking out revenge on these these racist white slave owners. Mm. Like when that mansion explodes and he's just smoking that cigarette. Oh, the whole ending when he starts shooting everybody. Oh, my it's God. badass. When he shoots the, the lady and she goes flying through the yeah. fucking door. <laughs> Which he's been using a lot in his recent movies. <laughs> and, he, he, and Tarantino also ironically makes the KKK look like a bunch of freaking dummies, which yeah, they are. Which they were, When yeah. they have these masks and they can't even figure out how to get holes in them. Yeah. And it's really funny to watch, but then you're also realizing they're a bunch of fucking idiots yeah. and a bunch of morons. Yeah, it's a great scene. And um, yeah, Django and Dr. Schultz are a great combination throughout the whole story, mm. watching their journey. They go together like peanut butter and jelly, and they're so fun. And the great thing about Schultz is he treats Django like a human being from the moment he meets him chained up yeah. to the moment he dies. Mm. And I love uh, that they both need each other to grow individually. Yeah. Um, and Django becomes a better person, and Dr. Schultz become, becomes a better person. And Dr. Schultz eventually is willing and accepts and ensures his own death mm. just for the satisfaction of killing Calvin Candy. Yeah. So he, he guarantees his death just for shooting him. Yeah. And he knows it's going to happen. It's he a, does it just for the pleasure of it. It's a great moment because he's just like, this guy deserves to die. He can't live any longer. Yeah. He's, I think he says something like, I, I can't help myself or yeah. something like that. And then um, that's actually interesting. That scene um, is one of the main reasons why Will Smith eventually didn't work out for this role. Because Will Smith was actually Tarantino's first choice for Django. Um, and they he read the script, and they had a few meetings. But Will Smith's main main uh, problem with the script was that um, Schultz killed Calvin Candy. And Will Smith wanted Django to kill Calvin Candy. But Tarantino um, wouldn't back out, wouldn't change it. Because um, 
he felt like this is something that Schultz had to do for that reason that you just um, implied. And so it didn't work out with Will Smith. And then um, he went to Jamie Foxx next, who ended up, he said, being perfect because he needed Django to turn into a cowboy. And Jamie Foxx already is a cowboy in real life. Like, he has a horse ranch and he rides horses. Like, yeah, his horse in the movie yeah, is his real horse. It's his real horse, yeah. So he already was, and essentially, um, he already, Django's character was very much like, similar to who he was already. So Jamie Foxx ended up being the right guy for the job. Yeah. And ultimately, this movie's also a love story. And, you know, this when you finally get to the mansion and when Django finally sh- sees Brumhilda for the first time, mm-hmm. it's just a, a, a really great moment because it's been building for, like, 90 minutes of this long movie where you're just waiting to see them reconnect. And it's it's just kind of like a little magical moment when, when he sees her and he's like, hey, he says... Hey, they little firecracker, something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then she passes out, and it's just like it's so awesome to see. And then they come to save her. Yeah, Kerry Washington is awesome in this movie. Yeah, she's really she's great. a tough. Ro- she's a tough role in this movie. Yeah, especially what happens to her with the hot box and everything. Yeah. But one con I have for this movie is um, Tarantino when he's acting in it. Not that Tarantino's a bad actor or anything. Mm. Um, it's just his Australian accent, and this is just <laughs> not that great, guy. I mean, I love you, but. The accent's not the best, and it kind yeah. of took me out of that scene a little bit when uh-huh. they, when he uh, steals the dynamite and tricks those guys yeah. and tricks the Australians. But um, aside from that, this is <laughs> this is a really great movie. Yeah, it's one of Tarantino's best. It's one of his most entertaining. Mm. It's one of his funnest, and I love everything about it. Yeah, same. All right, moving on to the Hateful Eight, which dun, I dun, think dun. might be Tarantino's most underappreciated movie. It could be, yeah. You know, I, I know a lot of people who didn't like this movie, who didn't make it through the movie. They think it's too long. They think it's too boring, too much dialogue. I personally think this movie is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, I think Tarantino has an incredible gift with writing dialogue and writing scripts. And creating characters. Um, it's so different than his other movies. And it almost seems like a challenge he wanted to give himself, you know, put eight characters in one set mm. and see if you can make a movie about it. See what you can do. See yeah. what can happen with three hours. Similar again to that scene in Glorious Bastards in the Basement Bar. Mm. I, I like this movie a lot. I've seen it like maybe six times, seven times. It's he he I for me personally, he keeps you invested and on edge the whole time. And um, and like we said earlier, with the inevitable inevitable violence in a Tarantino movie, though for for the longest time, you're just waiting for waiting for it to explode, waiting for that first like kill or that first gunshot. You know what I mean? And so. He's the first hour or so is just slowly building that tension up like stronger and stronger until I think the first the first act of violence is when Sam Jackson kills Bruce Dern mm-hmm. um, because Bruce Dern draws a pistol on him because Sam Jackson tells him the story about his son. Um, and he gives him the pistol. Yeah, and he gives him the pistol. So and so he obviously the violence comes, but he finds he always finds like fun in new ways to exploit to, to display that violence you know what i mean and then each character is so well drawn out um so well acted by each by each actor um wardrobe's fantastic i think sam jackson's coat with like the yellow uh, stripe the, yeah. the yellow trim um in his hat he's he looks so cool in it he's very i think it's the most iconic look in that sh- in that movie um, Jennifer Jason Lee is phenomenal yeah, in this great. movie. She won uh, Best Actress in a Supporting Role for this. And um, funny story about her as Dame- Daisy Domergu is uh, that scene where she's playing the guitar and singing the song. Kurt Russell's character, John Ruth, gets so upset with her 
like he does throughout the whole movie, that he takes the guitar and he smashes it. Uh-huh. But Kurt Russell didn't know that that was an 150-year-old guitar and an artifact from Martin Museum. And it's, so he wasn't supposed to do that? He wasn't. He was, no one t- it's in the script to smash the guitar, uh-huh. but he didn't know that it was a very valuable and priceless guitar uh-huh. and an, basically Shit. a historical artifact. And so he smashed this 150-year-old guitar and Martin Museum became very upset. And it... There's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. It's not his fault. No one communicated it to him. But that guitar that he smashes in the movie on camera is a very valuable That's guitar. That's insane. That Someone you, should have told him. You can't replace it. So whoever the prop master was on Hateful Eight probably got fired forever. Oh, definitely. Probably never work again. Yeah. That's great. Kurt Russell is awesome in this movie. Yeah, he's so he's got a, He's got a lot of dialogue. And... um. He's got a great mustache in this movie. Yeah, because he's one of those great actors who, you know, he's older and he doesn't get a lot of roles. And then you yeah. see him in this dense role with so much things, so many things to say. Mm. And he's just like awesome, interesting character. And is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? I kind of like him. I don't like him. Yeah. But the whole movie, like, I love the setup for this movie because it was advertised in the trailers as like eight people are in a cabin stranded during a blizzard, but they all have one thing in common. But you don't know what the mystery is until uh-huh. later on when you see it. Yeah. And again, the character's exceptionally unique, fun. Walton Goggins is awesome in this oh, he's movie. Great. He's he hilarious. Steals, he steals every scene. And we also get a great secret star moment in this movie, kind of yeah. like in Interstellar with Matt Damon when he pops yeah. out of the chamber when uh, Channing Tatum's hiding in the basement the whole time. Yeah. And, you know, he's a freaking huge star. Mm-hmm. And uh, he hit him that whole time for the movie. Yeah, it was great. Didn't I had no idea he was even in the movie. Yeah. So we saw this on Christmas Day when it came out. Saw it on 70 millimeter. It was like one of my most memorable film experiences of all time because it felt like going to a real movie because Tarantino had that like 10 minute overture yeah. where it's just one image with this eerie music of the movie playing. And there's this red and black shot mm. of like a, a mountain skyline. Yeah. And then um, halfway through the movie, there's an actual 10-minute intermission. Mm. And it's funny because it's in the in the dialogue. is the voiceover in the movie talking about it. And it was just kind of a weird experience to like be in the movie theater with a real intermission, kind of yeah. like a play. Yeah. And I remember like sprinting to the bathroom and spring back. And like <laughs> I still had plenty of time to catch the second part of the movie. Yeah. And um, when you come back from the real intermission... The voiceover in the movie says, welcome back from your break or whatever, something like that. Yeah. And the cool thing about Tarantino, he left that in like the, the streaming version. Yeah. Like the, the the one you watch on Netflix or the one you watch on Blu-ray or whatever has the voiceover of this intermission that doesn't really exist only in the film because he's like, fuck that. It's, yeah. my, it's part of yeah. my movie. He's like, I'm putting that in. And the voiceover narration is him. He it, does he does the narration. Oh, that's him? Yeah, the whole time. I had no idea. So he's the, he's the, uh, the narrator of the entire film. He does a good job disguising his voice. Yeah. Didn't sound like you it know, at all. Watch another scene again with the narration. You'd be like, "Oh, it is Tarantino." I'll have to because whenever you hear Tarantino talk, he's just like he's so smart. You can tell his brain just processes so much faster than what he can talk. Yeah, because Tarantino's IQ is one sixty. Yeah, same as Stephen Hawking. The guy yeah. is a freaking genius, and I think for him, he was lucky enough to find the perfect outlet for his genius, uh. and that's filmmaking and screenwriting. Yeah, it's a combination of his genius and his uh, interests. But I, I think with the narration, he definitely. Probably took some speech classes because it's very controlled and and uh, very uh, muted. And this movie is very clever too with the nonlinear storytelling. When that starts to kick in mm. later on, like midway through, when when they cut back to what actually happened at 
um, at the haberdashery. At the haberdashery before they got there mm-hmm. with the setup by the gang and everything, and yeah. how they just like just in time got everyone killed and they staged the setup and mm-hmm. cleaned everything up and put Chang Tame in the basement. Yeah, and it's just it's so cool when you find out what's going on. It's fantastic. It's so shock again. He shocks you again because you don't know who's killing people because you don't know who poisoned the coffee yeah. in the way that. <laughs> Oh my god! They die from the coffee, just oh. like puking so First much blood. Kurt Russell, he's just like, oh, oh, and then just splurts blood out. Oh my god! And also, when they were filming the rest of the scenes of the movie, Kurt Russell still went to set as a dead body. He still <laughs> laid down on the ground. <laughs> it was just him. Yeah, he's, it was well the dead bodies. Whoever yeah. were the actors were they still yeah. they came to set and were just laying down as dead bodies. That's great. Which I think Tarantino like just really believes in. Authenticity to yeah. his stories, and um, he well, yeah, he doesn't allow cell phones on set at all, like not at all. But also, do you know the thing about the dildo on set? No. So for for like the past like several movies, Tarantino brings this giant like huge dildo on set. I think it's like a big pink dildo, and um, he saves it for special occasions. And what happens is if if someone falls asleep on set, they uh. The crew secretly brings the dildo and puts it on you, and then they take your photo. <laughs> Are there pictures of this on the internet? Yeah, yeah. I guess so. See this. So, like, everyone, like, it's like a rule, like, don't fall asleep on set, or else they'll get you a photo holding the dildo. <laughs> it's so funny. I'm sure his sets run long too. Yeah, but he's like, hey, we're here to make a movie. No distractions, no breaks. Let's get this done. And just the ending of this movie is, it's just so satisfying. Yeah. Everybody freaking dies. Yeah. Everyone. Everybody dies. And Daisy gets what she got coming to her. Yeah. But it's just nuts. Literally everybody dies. <laughs> With the music, Ennio Morricone's score is just incredible. He won the Oscar for this. Yeah. And the way he, the way they hang her at the end is yeah. just ridiculous. <laughs> it's fucking nuts. He's like, my first and final act of, as mayor <laughs> of, of Sheriff of Red Rock. <laughs> Sentence you, Daisy Domergoo, to death by hanging. <laughs> the hangman catches you. You hang. I will say, my my one knock on this movie, it, it's it's and it's pretty funny if you think about it. Is it's a little a little funny how often characters recognize other characters even yeah. though they've never met. There's very little. There's no foot photography. And the only images you saw people were like drawings or printouts. So it's like, I think there's like five times where someone recognizes someone else. Well, it's like John Ruth recognizes Walton Goggins' character. Yeah. And Walton Goggins recognized the general. But Kurt Russell and, and Samuel Jackson recognize each other. They recognize each other. But that's because they met in the, in the past. But yeah, they don't count because they've met. But other people who've never met seem to recognize each other. Yeah. And it's like, okay. But otherwise, like that's my only knock on the whole movie. You know who I really love in this movie is Tim Roth. Yeah, he's great. He does a great job in this movie because he gets to do like this street London accent, and yeah. then also he does like this classical preppy like English yeah. accent the yeah. same, uh, yeah. with the, the same person. In the flashback, yeah. So he he seems like he had a lot of fun. This looks like it was probably like a lot of fun to make. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And, and he's, he's got he's got his old crew. He's got him. He's got Michael Madsen in it. Yeah. Sam, Kurt Russell's in it. No one else puts Michael Madsen in movies except for Tarantino nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> he's otherwise he's in how how thankful is Michael Madsen for Tarantino? Big time. Like so so thankful. He's like put that dildo on me anytime, bro. <laughs> I don't care. No one's putting me in movies anymore. I haven't been in a movie since that sci-fi thing, whatever it was called. No, he's just doing VOD, man. Basic in, no, not basic. He's doing like the cheesy action movies now. Got to make that money somehow. Yeah. But um yeah, Hateful Eight great movie it was heavy dialogue heavy dialogue but it's, it's like it felt like a play 
Yeah, you and know, right I, now Netflix is doing uh, extended version where there's four like fifty minute parts. Yeah, so it's pretty much a mini series on Netflix. Yeah, but um, it's it's so much such a fun movie. All right, one more movie to talk about. Here we go. Just right. came out last year. Once upon a time in Hollywood. Excellent movie. The ultimate pairing of movie stars in the modern era. Never seen anything like to it. To have, I think, since New- Paul Newman and, and Robert Redford, and yeah. Butch Cassidy. Yeah. But to have Brad Pitt and DiCaprio in a movie together, sharing scenes, blew my mind. The Incredible. whole time in the theater, I just couldn't believe I was watching yeah. it. Because you've had De Niro and Pacino and Heat, but they only shared one scene together. But in this movie, these two guys, these two giants of, of film history are in so many scenes together. And it was worth the price of admission just to see them share the screen and, and just to talk to each other. You it's like I mean? watching a unicorn, dude. Yeah, it's crazy. You could have filmed these two guys doing anything <laughs> and it would have made $100 million. It's insane. <laughs> I loved it. it. It was just mind-blowing to see them both together and how awesome they were. And you like knew they would just be so well together. Yeah. You knew that the, like, the charm would be there for both of them. You, you knew they'd get along. Yeah, you knew they'd play off each other You knew other they'd so have well. such good rapport. Yeah. And it, and they did. And it was so fun. Well, that's the thing with this movie. I think it's Tarantino's most fun movie. Probably. It's a great yeah. time. It's funny. It's um. It's 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 really enjoyable and uh, it, the story's unique. And I think it's just a great time watching this movie. You're never gonna see a movie like this ever made again. Never. It's a three hour love fest to cinema and to Hollywood in, in 1960s and yeah. not letting not wanting to change. Like it's it's about a time in an era that inevitably you're watching it and these guys are they're dinosaurs and they're about to be extinct but they don't know they're about to be extinct yeah. we know they're going to be extinct because we grow up in the modern world but these characters have no idea that everything's about to change for them yeah once the 70s start and um they start losing their careers and you can just watch them holding on to the end uh specifically when when cliff booth and rick dalton go to Italy to do their spaghetti westerns to try to revive his career. Yeah. And basically the whole movie is about Rick Dalton's career is, is almost over. Yeah. And he's and, trying to save it. And DiCaprio plays it so well of being this this guy on the on the end of a rope and he's so desperate and uh, he's a raging alcoholic. <laughs> like he has that when he messes up on set and he, keep, he keeps flubbing the lines up and he goes back to his trailer and he has that little like that little panic attack. And he's like, you quit drinking. No more drinking. You're, you're becoming a bum. And then he just grabs his bottle of liquor and starts drinking. And he's like, oh, fuck, God damn it. He like throws it across the room. It's so funny because the night before, he's, he's on his pool running lines, but he's made like this crazy huge margarita. Yeah, a whole blender of margarita. Yeah, he takes it into his pool to run lines. You're like, that's probably not a good idea, bro. And this is also a hallmark to um, Tarantino's like love of the film industry. Mm-hmm. Um obviously with him on set and with having casting an actor as the lead like just ha- seeing Tarantino pre- prepping for his role is hysterical yeah he's in his bathrobe and <laughs> and I mean I love the idea of like a movie being made on a movie yeah you know I mean you've seen it before but I love Quentin Tarantino's take on it. you know these fictional characters who are basically just like what you think a movie process looks like what actors yeah. are really like mm. And he actually uses real history combined with fictional history, mm. the real sets of Hollywood and L.A. combined with fictional and real characters. I mean, Bruce Lee's in this movie. I mean, a lot of people... There's a big controversy. Yeah, they, they don't like what Tarantino did with Bruce Lee, and they feel like they disrespected his memory and stuff like that. But, I mean, I don't hate his take on Bruce Lee because, again, Bruce Lee, incredibly smart guy, amazing martial artist, uh, highly... Icon. 
highly intelligent, massive cultural impact. But when you get down to it, when you're talking about Bruce Lee as a martial artist and a fighter, the guy's never had a recorded fight. Mm. And I'm sure that he kind of did all his philosophy ranting on sets and stuff like that. But when you, when it gets down to it, Bruce Lee was an actor mostly. Yeah, he did his own stunts, but like that's all we know about him physically. Yeah. I mean, obviously he looks like he's a great fighter and everything. I'm sure yeah. he was a great fighter, but still he has like zero recorded real fights yeah. that people have actually seen. So I don't hate Quentin Tarantino's take on it because for all we know, it could be accurate. And for all we know, you know, maybe Bruce Lee wasn't the greatest fighter in the world. Yeah. We will never know that, but... And also, I mean, we're talking about the filmmaker who killed Hitler in his movie. So, I mean, we don't have to take it completely seriously. Yeah. I think people maybe overreacted a little bit. I thought it was fun. I, I thought, thought it was, it was hilarious. Yeah. It was a really good time. And I thought that actor did a great job. He was uh, he seemed so much like Bruce. Yeah. Just great. Besides being absolutely shredded, which <laughs> he was not. I mean, yeah, how do you get as shredded as Bruce Lee? Yeah. But Cliff is uh, a great character because he has that, um, that, that murky past... You don't really know if he did kill his wife or not. <laughs> I just winked at him. <laughs> but um, and I love one of my favorite parts about this movie, and it happens in a lot of Tarantino movies. He's so great at depicting this is driving. Driving is something we all do. It takes up a lot of our time if you think about it, um, especially if you 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 um commute for work and stuff. So we all spend a lot of our time in cars listening to music driving on the freeways. And so in this movie, he especially depicted what it's like to drive across LA, to, dri- to drive from um, the hills and go all the way up into the deep valley in Van Nuys. And he literally followed Brad Pitt as he took every every freeway, every turn, every exit. Different songs. I felt like I've done this myself many times and then every time there's a cut, it's a new song playing because he's listening to the radio for 40 minutes. So obviously he's gonna hear a lot of music and that's what we do. And then you don't really get to see that experience shown on film very often. I think uh, someone who else who did it good was um, Sam Mendes did it really well in American Beauty when Kevin Spacey and Annette Bedding each sing to a song while they're driving, remember? But like this is like Brad Pitt is really going on a journey every night from, from uh, Rick's house to his trailer up in Van Nuys. And it's, it was so great to see to see the journey that we all take almost every day. Yeah. You know what I mean? Never really see it like from in, from to that extent on yeah, film. Yeah, like 10 minutes of it. And I love Cliff Booth, man. What oh, a yeah. cool character. It's the coolest character we've seen in a while. Best actor award for it. It's just so awesome to see him finally win yeah. an Oscar after his amazing career has gone this long. Mm. Um, and the thing with this movie is it's like also a Western at the same time. And yeah. again, to get back into mixing real history with fictional characters is the scenes at Spawn Ranch mm. with um, where Charles Manson's gang or Charles Manson had his family living. That's where they, they really mm. were. And Spawn Ranch is a real place. It's a real place that they shot um, Western TV shows on, um, like The Lone Ranger and stuff like that. And then to bring Cliff Booth's character there to kind of have like this standoff mm. with the hippies who are kind of like you could say were the outlaws or something. Goddamn hippies. <laughs> Goddamn hippies! Goddamn hippies! <laughs> it's just really cool because you know he kind of like did like a modern standoff with like the sheriff type character, yeah. like like Cliff Booth. Uh-huh. And also in that scene, um, tragically, Burt Reynolds died before they filmed the movie, and he mm-hmm. was originally cast in the role that Bruce Dern plays oh, as the really? blind owner of of Spawn Ranch. Uh-huh. And um, 
So technically, it was the last role that Burt Reynolds ever played because he played the character in rehearsals, mm. in script reading, died before they filmed the role. It's too bad. So technically, it was the last role he ever acted as. Mm. Um, untimely death. It would have been amazing if he could have made it as long to film the movie to be in it. Yeah. And was, and um, DiCaprio's character was based off of Burt Reynolds. Basically, yeah. yeah. Basically based off Burt Reynolds. Yeah. Another yeah. scene that I love with uh, with Cliff Booth is uh, when we when he drives home and we get to see what his life is like. And he goes to his trailer and he has the dog. I love that I, dog. I love that dog. And he's got it so trained so well. And he starts preparing the, its dinner. And uh, she starts like whining a little bit. And he's like, is that a whine? And she just like straightens up like, no. <laughs> and it's a really great sequence of him just slamming the food down for her into the bowl. And then she's so hungry and she's mm -hmm. just like waiting for him to say it's okay. And then it also is a precursor to, to how he's trained her to attack as well. Yeah. And then when he he's finished... With his mac and cheese, and he takes the first bite of his mac and cheese because he's the, the the dominant of the house. Then he clicks his clicks his tongue, and then the dog knows it's okay to go eat. Yeah, and she runs over and starts mounting, going to town on the food. Yeah, it's so funny and it, cute. It, it kind of foreshadows the climax, which yeah. I freaking love. The climax of this movie is phenomenal because Tarantino builds it up so long. Yeah, it's like a three-hour movie, <laughs> and you wait until like the last ten and minutes it takes for the months. climax for the climax. Yeah. And it's basically an epic of these characters going through so much time. Yeah. And then when the climax happens, when Brad Pitt's drugged out on that uh, <laughs> acid-laced acid cigarette. cigarette, and then, like, the Tex walks in with the knives, he's like, hey, I know you. He's like, yeah, I'm the devil. He's like, nah, uh, here's dumber than that. <laughs> <laughs> then he just beats the crap out of the killers. Oh, my God. Beats the crap out of them senseless. Brutal. It's badass. It's awesome. And it's like you, you're waiting for it the whole movie. And, but the thing is, you're kind of frightened because you know Brad's high. Yeah. And you're like, is he going to be able to defend himself? Because they're all armed. It's like, is, how's he going to get out of this? And then you realize, oh, he 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 knows what's up still. Yeah. And he gets the, he sticks the dog on them. And that's when fucking the mayhem happens. Because his background, he's like a former Green Beret. Yeah. So he's just the most badass dude alive. Yeah. And then freaking... <laughs> Rick Dalton, Leo DiCaprio with the goddamn flamethrower. Oh, yeah, well, when the when the girl crashes into the pool, he's like, what the fuck? He's wearing <laughs> headphones. He's like, oh. And then he runs into his garage and he comes out with the flamethrower. His lights are on fire. <laughs> the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. Can you imagine reading that in the script for the first time? <laughs> and I love uh, after, at the end, when he's telling Emil Hirsch what happened and he's like, well, I just uh, I burned her up. <laughs> He's like, burned her. He's like, yeah, well, I got a flamethrower up back. <laughs> and they're like, oh, the one from that movie? <laughs> I love the shot when they're talking about the flamethrower earlier on. And yeah. he was like really using the flamethrower. He's like, oh, man, that's hot. Can we do anything about that heat? He's and, like, and that was improvised dialogue where he actually no said way. that. Yeah. And the guy's like, it's fire. He's like, <laughs> He's, no, he's like, it's a flamethrower. <laughs> So freaking funny. Oh man, that's great. But this movie is just it's fun. You know what I mean? You really feel for these characters big uh, time and you have so much fun with them. And yeah. I mean, just when when like Rick Dalton's on set and you're learning so much about him and his character uh, and then when he's talking to that little feminist little, the girl like 10-year-old girl yeah. and she's hilarious and and she's basically smarter than him and like sets his <laughs> life in like Yeah, like she's reading she's reading like some super articulate book way advanced for her age that he's reading a cowboy book. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like embarrassed. <laughs> he's like smoking cigarettes and like hawking loogies next to her and coughing up a lung. <laughs> he like right before he sits down he like throws trash on the ground. Yeah. He's just like a fucking asshole. <laughs> 
<laughs> goddamn hippies! <laughs> Bunch of goddamn fucking hippies! That's probably my favorite part of the movie. Is that before the hippies attack, is when he's just making margaritas again. <laughs> he's, they're, they're playing music on the street in their car, and he just looks out the window. He's like, "Bunch of goddamn fucking hippies!" <laughs> This is a private road. <laughs> oh my god, man! But I, this movie, I think, it's one of Tarantino's funniest ones. Oh, dude, it's hysterical! Yeah. It's like the funniest movie I saw last year. Yeah, it's, it's great. It's laughing the whole time, and then seeing it, seeing it in theaters on film projected, and uh, the produ- everything about it. The production's great. They transformed Hollywood into a different era for real. There's no CGI. I really want to go to Casa Vega now because we used to live down the street from that yeah. like a few years ago. Just drive by it every day. We never went. And now I want to go so bad and we can't because of fucking COVID. Oh, man. I want to go there so Fuck bad. COVID. Casa Vega looks like a blast. <laughs> I just want to make a... I made a list of what I think Tarantino's best scenes are. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wanted to read them and see what you thought. So for be- Tarantino's best scenes for all of his movies, I have um, DiCaprio's uh, bloody hand monologue in Django. The... Uh, Oren fight at the end of Kill Bill 1. Um, Tim Roth's Komodo story in Reservoir Dogs. Um, the wolf sequence in uh, Pulp Fiction. Uh, the Crazy 88 fight in Kill Bill. Um, Reserv- uh, Vincent and Jules um, going into the, that first apartment um, with the Bakuna Burger monologue. Um, Michael Madsen's uh, torture scene in Reservoir Dogs. Mia and Vincent um, at Jack Rabbit, Jack Rabbit Slims, the whole sequence from them at the table to them dancing. When Butch saves Marcellus in Pulp Fiction. The basement scene, um, playing the drinking games in Inglorious Bastards. And then his greatest scene, as we've said, is the opening scene to Inglorious Bastards. It's a really good list. That's, those are, I think, his best scenes. Those last two could be interchangeable. Yeah. In terms of which one's better. Exactly, like we said earlier. I think I might like the the basement scene more because there's more characters. Mm. All right, but I think we're coming to an end. There, we could keep going on, but this is like two hours right now. Yeah, so this is gonna be a two parter. This, this is an epic. Yeah, so this is a two part episode. Um, thank you everybody for tuning in and listening to this episode of Raiders of the Lost podcast. Director spotlight on Quentin Tarantino. We'll be doing more director spotlights in the future. Um, so thank you so much for for watching. Leave us a five star review, please, please. Subscribe on YouTube. Follow us on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Hit all the buttons. Go on uh, TikTok on Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Instagram at Raiders of the Lost Podcast. We got lots of fun stuff coming. Yeah, guys. We got tons of content. We appreciate all the support wherever you're coming from. TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, wherever. And if you have any ideas for episodes, shout it out to us. We've taken a few ideas already and we'd love to hear from you guys. Send us a DM on Instagram, guys. We respond to all of our fans. Yeah, we love you guys and girls. And thank you so much. Have a lovely day. Take care. Wherever you're listening, New Zealand, Australia, Ireland, America, France. We have fans everywhere, so we appreciate every single one of you. We even have someone in Chile, nice. Argentina, awesome. everywhere. Chile person. We're all over the place. We're all over the, the map, player. Even Russia. Now let's uh, let's listen to super sounds of the 70s. <laughs> Goddamn hippies. <laughs>